Hey, Three Song Story fans, the second song in this week's episode does have swear words in it. The downloadable short version of the episode does not. Consider yourself warned. Keep listening. One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the podcast that uses musical memories to trick people into revealing stories they would never have dreamed they'd be telling into a microphone. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest this episode is Eric Riemenschneider. Eric was born in Akron, Ohio, and later lived in New York City before moving to Sanibel Island 21 years ago, where he met and married his wife of 21 years, Katie. They now live in Fort Myers near the Edison and Ford Estates with their three sons, 19-year-old Clay, 17-year-old Kyle, and 7-year-old Reese, house full of a boy. Eric graduated from Ringling College of Art and Design with a BFA in illustration. He's received a number of awards and accolades over the years, including being named Southwest Florida's Best Up-and-Coming Artist. He won an Angels of the Arts Award, was named Best in Show in an All-Florida Exhibit at the Alliance for the Arts. He was a Lee County Golden Apple Teacher and Lee County Arts Teacher of the Year, and he received a Robert Rauschenberg Scholarship. Eric enjoys making large-scale oil paintings and creating mixed-media digital designs. His works have been exhibited in the Robert Rauschenberg Gallery, Space 39, Tincture Gallery, Selby Gallery, Alliance for the Arts, Big Arts, Howe Gallery, Franklin Gallery, Yabo, Crew, and a solo show at the Sydney and Byrne Davis Art Center in downtown Fort Myers. Although still an avid painter, these days Eric is a family risk manager with McGriff Insurance. He says his artistic background enables him to find creative solutions for every situation, Presumably including preparing for this Three Song Stories process, which I sprung on him last week in the deli at Publix. Hey there, Eric. Three times in one week. It's a crazy thing. It's a record. Um, I'm so glad I asked how to pronounce your name because, you know, I met you through the Alliance for the Arts where you show your work. And I worked with Krista, who's the exhibition person. And she always just said, As most do. (laughs) I never heard it said out loud. I never said it out loud. But, you know, I also was told that if it's a German word, you pick, you put the E instead of the I. And so I thought maybe it was Riem. And so I asked and there you go. So say it for us one time. Riemenschneider. Nice. What is the uh, earliest musical memory you can recall? Well, growing up in a home uh, with a couple of hippie parents, um, music was a huge part huge staple in our household records everywhere music all the time um my parents enjoyed just playing music and kind of dancing around like almost like you would think of hippies dancing around listening to music like, what was the era when you were growing up well, i was born in 1970 <clears throat> okay. in, in akron ohio and so uh you know, I didn't really know anything. So good. hippie parents in 1970 meant hippie parents. Yes. <laughs> All in. Yeah, you know, yeah. I've tried to, you know, look back and see if my conception as opposed to their wedding date and all that as time has gone on just to kind see of. See how close to the summer yeah, of love you were in, You know, which, which, which came first. Um, but, yeah, music and, and parties. Uh, I don't know if they were really parties, but gathering, you know, you watch all the home improvement shows now and they're like, we need space to entertain. Well, back then, the the space that you were in was entertaining. Were they listening to hippie music? What was the, Um, what are the earliest songs you can remember being played as background music? You know, that's a good question because I had to think a lot 
uh, on picking a song um, for my early years, but everything from Elton John to uh, a lot of Genesis, a lot of uh, Grateful Dead. I was going to say, you better get to a hippie band soon. Yes. <laughs> well, I know. it's I'm still, you. you know, and, and it, it was a time where, you know, you took your kids everywhere. Like my parents took me, brought me everywhere with them. So I have the pleasure or the experience of being exposed to more live music by the time I was five years old than most people have. Do you remember your first real concert? Yeah, I think it, I'm pretty sure it was Genesis Live. Wow. And that was very theatrical. Yeah. Um, there was a weird cloud. I think, you know, they they had smoke machines at early concerts, but they also, there was residual mm -hmm. smoke. Secondhand. Correct. Right. Uh, were your parents first handers? They were medicinal. Okay. You know, before it was cool. <laughs> Um, you know, I don't know if they had their card back then. I don't know if you needed one, but, uh, it, it was definitely a time of love and music and, and not that there was a lot of love in my household, but at least musically there was. Right. Yeah. Was, uh, was anybody playing music on an instrument that would have been, you, and did you ever? No, that would have been cool. It, it's weird with the amount of music I've been exposed to. Uh, you know, I played around with a recorder, like a little cassette recorder and I would do a lot of voice stuff. Okay. Um, and that was my dad's idea. Like I would say the alphabet and stuff like that. But, and then I played around with a little like Casio keyboard later in life and a little guitar, but never any training, no one playing music, just playing records. Were you, a, were you a kid carrying around a sketchbook everywhere with you? You not ended at up all. studying. So what's the arc between, you know, when did, when did just, illustration enter your I know world? that I think. I think it was something – my dad used to do little scribbles and uh, hand me a scribble and tell me to finish it. Mm. It was a really interesting kind of a IQ psychological thing. I look back. I and, like that. And uh, I did it all the time. It's how he kept me busy. We didn't have phones. You know, you didn't have video games. Right. Um, and it's, uh, you know, some of my earliest memories. Was he an illustrator or an artist of some kind? Uh, a little bit of art in his – in his genes, but nothing. Now he worked in the auto industry, hmm. so nothing. Uh, just pretty cool, though. I mean, I think if my parents taught me anything, it was to be an individual, you know. And I think that's what I saw. And then I'd sit and look at records, you know. I'd look at record record covers mm -hmm. and just kind of study the art and and uh, you know think about designing my own record cover someday. So, how did you wind up on a trajectory to study art at Ringling? Uh, that's a loaded question, man. That We'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. Okay, we'll get there. So uh, when you were a young kid, did you have some aspiration for wanting to be you know, an astronaut or a race car driver or an artist? Or I a... think you're right in there with the astronaut. I think it was that same thing, like kind of conquering the world, standing on top of the world, whatever that means, being an astronaut, um, being a doctor, being – beyond what my parents were able to provide me. Um, one of the things, and I guess being, I don't, the funny thing about asking me about playing music is wanting to be on stage hmm. and never. I've never doing any of the things still it to takes this day, to. <laughs> correct. So what, this is a lead into the first song. Uh, my parents, I, I gave you a little bit of a picture. My my dad was a twin, and his brother 
was a very interesting cat. They were identical twins. And at the time uh, of one of my early years, he was kind of like the guy. Like he had a nickname. Like his nickname, my last name's Riemann Schneider. As you've already professed, it's difficult to pronounce. So my uncle was Remo. Huh. He had an identity. I, he's my uncle. I didn't know. He's just my uncle. And but he was like the guy in Akron. And his house, he had a boa constrictor. He dated uh, what I would call a gypsy <laughs> woman. She was very interesting. She wore like Did he have a circular bed? Yes, with mirrors on the ceiling, and I slept in that bed many times. It was water. He really did. It was a water bed. Yes, she wore flowing gowns, and they were just the coolest cats. Platform shoes were big at that time. Right. Like, this was the seventies. Yes, and uh, in Akron, in Akron, the metropolis, <laughs> the Acropolis of of Ohio. You know, the highest point in Ohio, and I was there living it all at five years old. I, at some point in my parents, like infinite wisdom, they decided, you know, they would uh, be listening to records and they decided that I had uh, a likeness to, to David Bowie. And so they gave me a plastic guitar. It was black and white. I still remember it. My mom was in fashion and design. And I think that's, I was surrounded with the arts all the time as far as the arcing question, how do you end up in art school? And uh, my mom, you know, made a Ziggy Stardust vest for me. I had the hair like I, I had the mullet once again, but it was a rock and roll mullet. So I guess I got more style points for them. And I was five, four or five years old. Uh, literally like a spiked. Is there photographic evidence? I couldn't bring it. I couldn't find it. I do have it. Well, you know. But we're on the radio. Well, you have time, so continue. I'll text you. Okay. So I was their entertainment. I was the live Ziggy Stardust. I, and this is wrong on so many levels, but you don't know. Like I was five and I was on stage. Dance five-year-old Monkey Bowie. Yes. (laughs) I had the guitar. I knew all the words. Did you have any concept of who David Bowie was? Absolutely not. Or anything like that? Absolutely not. You're five, uh, four or five yeah, years yeah, old. Yeah. I just knew a lot of music that most people, once again, I was surrounded with the music all the time. And it was kind of like my beat, you know, and, and, and a whole different variety of, of really cool, cool music at that time. And I didn't even share them all with you. But the one that I'm trying to get to is Bowie because that was the one who I kind of personified as a five-year-old, hmm. if, if you can wrap your brain around that. <laughs> and I do have photographic evidence. I, and I had the outfit. And oftentimes in my tidy whities with like – with the vest and the hair and the guitar, um, that's all I can think of to share at that stage. I think that encapsulates – my early years. If you hear uh, Bowie or particularly Ziggy Stardust, does it make you automatically remember 
uh, that time and place in your life? It, you know, there's moments. It, a lot of my memories from that time are repressed for obvious reasons. And it's like the whole thing, like, where were the spiders? Like, I, you know, I'm looking for spiders. Anytime I saw a spider, I was like, well, is that my friend? Like, are spiders dangerous? You know, is this something that, <laughs> like, you know, I'm like, I remember so many funny little quirky things. It's like I just watched a really funny uh, viral video of the woman doing Missy Elliott from the AMA Awards, the Missy's white sister, soul sister, and she has no clue what she's singing. <laughs> like she can do the whole song right on the money for karaoke without any concept of what's coming out of her mouth. You know, nails yeah, yeah, the yeah, mannerism. Yeah, yeah. And so I think about that as a here I am as this youth – there wasn't the same filtering, you know, back in the 70s. Yeah. Like, you know, it wasn't – we weren't politically correct. You weren't saying, oh, don't play that. That's not for kids. It was just – My favorite 70s growing up moment is asking my mom what kind of car seat we had when we were kids. And she said, oh, you had this little steering wheel. You'd sit on your lap and drive. And I'd say, well, did it like hold me in? And she'd go, no, it no. just <laughs> – I'm on the hump in the, the back of the Pinto. I'm on the hump. Yeah, yeah. well, exactly. The, the worst seat to be projected through the windshield. Yeah. You yeah. Know, but um, well, do you want to hear the song? And we I can think, imagine you in your whitey tidies and your, uh, awesome. your mullet before it was cool, before it was not cool, before it was cool, before it was not cool. Absolutely. Okay. This is, uh, let's see, where's my, oh, there it is. Uh, this is um, David Bowie, Ziggy Stardust from his 1972 album, and I never knew this either. The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. played guitar Jamming good with weather and gaily And the spiders from Mars They played it left hand But made it too far Became the special man Then we were Ziggy's band Ziggy really sang Screwed up eyes and screwed down hairdo like some cat from Japan He could lick them by smiling He could leave them to hang They came on so loaded, man Well hung snow white tan Making love with 
David Bowie. How important is he in terms of your musical like world? Because the first thing I think I can remember seeing of your artwork was a painting of him. So tie that all together. It, you know, it, <clears throat> I think it goes back to that that song in that era in my subconscious. It's not something um, that I chose, but I just think his whole being and his whole way that he carried himself as an individual and you know, kind of challenging the odds and, and uh, you know, surviving and, and doing all that he did and reinventing himself uh, is just a really cool kind of mantra. Uh, you know, and then that, how do you make one painting? Like I started to think about him, and this is before he passed away. Uh, I just knew what an influence he had, and I, I didn't want to paint Ziggy Stardust. Uh, I tried to capture just a more refined, you know, gentleman kind of portrait of him, um, kind of like the Duke, you know, it, it just because I mean, what and how much he inspired all of music, pop music, and and otherwise. Like before, I think back to growing up with the radio after listening to all those records, and then trying to define what I like for music, and it was there wasn't pop radio and. There was like country western. Yeah, there was there was it, it was limited. You didn't have a yeah. rock station. It was just on the radio. Right. You were happy to get a signal. Right. <laughs> you know. Uh, so it's just kind of cool. It, Did you have to come across the, there was a it wasn't the Onion, but it was an Onion like online news source that wrote a a piece about a year and a half ago now that said that scientists have finally discovered why the universe has gone off the rails and it's because when David Bowie died, turns out he was producing a specific particle called the boon and as soon as he left, the universe could no longer keep its shit together because right. there were no more boons in, right. the, in the universe. And right. I thought, you know, that's about the most sense that I've heard anything uh, make in a while. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, he definitely had a pretty interesting life and uh, I hope you know, I hope to have some of that. Yeah, well, and you said your parents wanted you to grow up to be like, you know, an individual or to be yourself or whatever. And sure. he certainly is emblematic of that. Yeah. How often do you listen to David Bowie or what do you listen to? I listen to everything. That, that's what was really challenging about your request to come up with three songs to kind of. And you did get less time to think, which you just did. You told me right before we went live that that was maybe a blessing. Not not terrible because you know how you give me more time. I'm going to wait till the last minute anyway, most likely. Right, right. Yeah, you know, to uh, to crunch it out. So it it worked. It it brings me to uh, you know just think about the arc. You asked me about what brought me to art school, what brought me to at least the next phase of life, and you know I moved to Florida. We're here. I had gone through some trials and tribulations to get here and then still never really graduated from college. And it was something I was in the service industry out on Sanibel and Captiva, which is very lucrative. And you would have been in your like late 20s? Oh, no, early. Early. Okay. Yeah, early 22. Okay. Um, my wife and I had a son and, you know, she's like, this restaurant thing's not going to work forever. Like we're on different schedules which worked for a while, but emotionally and physically, we just weren't together enough. And so she's like, why don't you take some classes? Took some classes at Edison College, 
and I uh, still refer to it as Edison. I Edison love, Community College. Yes, I, I love. We used it. to call it high school with ashtrays. Correct for us locals. I love FSW, yes. but it's still Edison ECC. Yes, right. Yes, I was fortunate enough to take. My wife knew I was really good at art. I was doing freelance design for some local publications like Times of the Islands and different businesses, some logo, uh, page layout, ad layout, stuff like that was pretty good money. Um, but still, you know, consider myself a pro, but didn't have the paper behind me. Um, she's like, why don't you take some art classes, see what they have available. I went to Edison Community College and was fortunate enough to have a full studio schedule of art. And this was 19... 19- 98 or 1999. Um, so, yeah, at that point I was a little bit older. But I, it started, you know, the conversation started early mm-hmm. when my wife and I. It took her a long time to convince you. Cor- correct. Well, right. ni- 97 <laughs> okay. was wedding and so a year. Okay, not that long. But I am kind of, a, <clears throat> yeah, I'm slow to act. You can ask anyone that knows me. I, I, I will finish. <laughs> but uh, had Carl Schwartz. Who, who's since passed and, and big, uh, you know, contributor here to the arts at FGCU. Mm-hmm. Um, he basically, I mean, I had his class and he was saying things to me that he wasn't saying to the other students. And this was for figure drawing and charcoal, you know, and if anyone's ever studied art, studio art, it's a three hour course. You do gestures, you, you do quick gestures, and then you do a long pose study. Uh, where everyone's, you know, the the model sits there and takes breaks and you make a really nice drawing. And nothing was ever good enough for Carl Schwartz. Well, he started talking about my art like uh, he referred to these masters that I, I had to look up. And and then he's like, have you ever heard of Ringling? I'm like, oh, the clown school? Is it? No, Ringling. Balloon animals? Yes. I'm like, I don't want to be a clown. I know I'm funny. But – so then I researched Ringling, and it's in Sarasota. It's a great art school. Um, because of Carl and some of the other instructors that I, I had some really great teachers at Edison Community College for a great rate, you know, the yeah. credit hour. I, I hit the gold mine. Like, right, it, right. It doesn't it's the always magic, happen. magic bullet ticket. Yes. Golden ticket. Uh, so much so that those credits transferred completely to Edison or to Ringling, right. which – was unbelievable. Like right. they would, they, take they the had studio. to have known what, the, what, where you were coming from yes. in order to make that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, went to Ringling, um, got into Ringling as a sophomore at the age of thirty. Uh, one of the top art schools in the world. Absolutely blew my mind. I didn't. I, I was scared, but kind of too stupid to know what I was getting into. Just excited as hell, and uh, we rented a house. Uh, up in Sarasota, we put our house for sale in Sanibel. So I moved my my wife and my two year old. We we moved up there. Clay was two. We rented a house. This was two thousand and one, and I started classes. Completely blown away by everything. Overwhelmed. I'm thirty, surrounded by all these amazing artists that went to art school since they were in the womb. Mm-hmm. You know, they were like bred to be artists. Here I am, like totally enthralled and excited, but scared a little bit. Um, and and my wife was pregnant, and basically September 11th happened. Right. 
Uh, I mean, it was. I was in Sarasota when George W. came through. Yeah, he read, was in Sarasota reading to the, to the students. Yes. Yeah, like we one of saw our the motorcade. Was there? Yeah. yeah, we saw the motorcade. Like we were there, and our house was for sale in Sanibel. Uh, I was in the Commons at Ringling, and this is before. This was still where Ringling was known in this amazing school, but Larry Thompson had just taken over, who uh, started the Hard Rock. Uh, rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland. So he came in with a rock and roll mentality and to build this school, but the money wasn't there yet. And so the student commons was kind of a joke. It was falling apart, a suspended ceiling, you know, t- tiles were missing. And right. they had like a projector going. And I remember coming through there and seeing, you know, the first tower getting hit like live, basically. And uh, I'm like, holy hell, what is going on? I just moved my family up here. My son, Kyle, was born September 19th, like right after. a week after. Yeah. And we're like, what do we do? Like, no one's buying property. The market froze. Here I am changing, making this life-changing move, putting my family through all this to be an artist, like who does that? You know, what's the payday at the end of the ringling education? You know, and I just moved everyone. Now our house is still on Sanibel. Nobody's going to buy it. So thankfully, I moved a three bedroom house twice in three months. We moved back to Sanibel. I offered to drop out of school. My wife said, "Absolutely not. This is your dream." I'm like, "Thank you for helping me realize my dream." <laughs> and then I continued to so commute. You, you commuted, so that's like. God, that's what it was it, a two it's super and fun. a half hours. Super fun. I was going to say from Sanibel, there's no really had, good way to get to listen, Sarasota. I, I had a Honda Civic Si, a '92 Honda Civic Si, 16 valve, five speed. My go kart took me where I needed to be, efficiently and economically. <laughs> and uh, I ended up finding and scheduling my courses. I met with a wonderful woman who was my counselor. Scheduled all my classes on Monday and Wednesday, so I had class from. Second semester, I had class from 8.30 to 10.30, 8.30 to 10.30, 8.30 in the morning, 10.30 at night, Monday, Wednesday, and I had one class on Tuesday, and I used Tuesday as my studio day, and I stayed. I had a place to stay there. Gotcha. So you do a little stretch. And so I left back. at like 5 in the morning, worked my ass off you know, for three days and came home Wednesday night, and then worked still and, and still doing freelance design. And working on Captiva in the restaurant business because the money, you know, it was yeah, yeah. I needed to keep providing. You know, my wife was been a school teacher the whole time, right? So money had to come from somewhere. Uh, it was absolutely the hardest years, arguably the hardest year. I, I've been through a lot of trials. That was a strain on my wife, strain on our relationship a strain on me and in my role as a human hmm. and a father and a husband, like having everything going on in the world. Um, you know, listening, you're asking me about music and this is all about music. Like I think about how growing up in Akron and then having all this awesome, cool, groovy music in my life and then listening to the whole wave of, of like run DMC and when that became mainstream and then the Beastie Boys. And then so I kept trying to think, like, how does – because I, I listen to everything. And so 
what song at that time do I remember being 30 years old, completely out of my element, but at the same time, exactly where I'm supposed to be? Like what song at that time where I was learning from my classmates and my peers as much as I was from the instructors? Like what did I really learn? I learned Grand Theft Auto <laughs> on PS3 and I learned Eminem. And that's like, and then that song just kind of became my anthem. Like I would listen to it on my drive because it was like a great time. It was almost like meditation when I drive from Sanibel to Sarasota. Uh, and it just, he was so angry and like, I got it. I'm like, man, like I had been the underdog. I have been that guy too many times. And I wasn't going to lose this fight, you know, like I was fighting for everything. It was it was really a scary and wonderful time for me. So uh, I don't know a better lead into a song than that. Like, All right. Well, let's hear it. This is Eminem's Lose Yourself from the uh, soundtrack to the movie Eight Mile. Opportunity sees everything you ever wanted in one moment. Did you capture it? Just let it slip. Yo. His palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy. There's vomit on his sweater already. Mom's spaghetti, he's nervous, but on the surface he looks calm and ready to drop bombs. But he keeps on forgetting what he wrote down. The whole crowd goes so loud, he opens his mouth, but the words won't come out. He's choking how? Everybody's choking now. The clocks run out, time's up, over, plow. Snap back to reality. Oh, there goes gravity. Oh, there goes rabbit. He choke, he's so mad, but he won't give up.
roof off like two dogs cage. I was playing in the beginning, the mood all changed. I've been chewed up and spit out and booed off stage. But I kept rhyming and step right in the next cipher. Best believe somebody's paying the Pied Piper. All the pain inside amplified by the fact that I can't get by with my nine to five. And I can't provide the right type of life for my family. Cause man, these goddamn food stamps don't buy diapers. And it's no talks after that <laughs> um uh, apparently you started <laughs> um you know uh you know before we we started you asked about do i tell the story first or tell the story second and i explained that by telling the story per first you put the and you telling that story really really shaped that song for me and i remember that era you know yeah. it was such a crazy time and so for you to be in the middle of so many different things and sort of conscious of it you know a lot of times we're not conscious of going through a time of great transition necessarily you were aware of it as it was happening and it was right in that post 911 world and that kind of music which you know that was a new thing you know eminem you know there was rap music there was what you know early hip hop or whatever but sure. what he was doing was something different and hearing it through your story was really interesting for me. Well, because it's a totally different spin. Like there were so many people hating on him and, and his message and how he's ruining kids. And, uh, I, you know, for me, it was adapting to this new environment and like tapping into that energy and that youth, you know, and, and being at Ringling, which was like this epicenter of creativity and not fighting it. You know, like with all that was going on in my life, trying to absorb that creativity and like and being there on my own dime, you know, and and all that I had to lose. Um, I mean, that song, like whatever, you can hate all you want. Like that song brought it like and I, it's the easiest song and it might be cliche, 
but for me, it was it was all I was living it, man. I might not have been from Detroit and on food stamps, but yeah, I might have been driving from Santa Bell to uh, Sarasota, right? But, like it seems yeah. pretty cush, but no, it, it, yeah, everyone's fighting their own fight. Sure, for sure, hmm. and it's it's awesome. It it just emulated for me that whole dichotomy of me being. You know, this guy who's kind of lived life and then back at this amazing art school and then forming these relationships with not only other – there were other adults there, uh, but there was a lot of really amazing young kids that were way beyond their years. And so communicating with them and adapting and relating to them is what – is why I ended up teaching, you know, why, why I ended up – was kind of attracted to – Teaching. I, I started teaching at Ringling, you know. I mean, I think as I reflect back on my life, I think I was teaching for a long time, mm. having to grow up in an environment where I had a couple of – they were more siblings than parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I had people that were living wild and free, and I'm, like, trying to find my way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think I, I just had a way of navigating and and finding – partners and allies outside of my family from an early age and kind of grabbing onto them and then learning from them and then also kind of being a guide myself. And so it just lent itself to teaching. I started filling in for instructors at Ringling. It's Ringling. Like I had no, I had no Right. Pedigree. No credential yet. No. And they're like, can you cover the drawing class for me? I'm like, this is like a respected professor at Ringling. We're paying. Was that affirming to you? It was awesome. But it was all natural. I didn't look for that. It just found me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then to come back and teach here locally was. Did uh, you start teaching immediately once you graduated? No, I actually started selling uh, medical equipment, which was. Pretty <laughs> straight dotted line straight from art school at Ringling. <laughs> and I told a few of my professors because I, I had one of them write me a letter and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like providing for my family. Yeah. And, and it was an opportunity, you know, um, and I was pre-med biology prior to going to art school years, in my former life. So so it was it, it was more logical to me than others. Uh, but I soon realized that my place at that time you know, was in the school and sharing my wisdom and, and, and I had a way of communicating with kids that, you know, I didn't realize was really powerful and awesome. Were you a high school teacher? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was great. I did high school and middle school and high school, back to high school, did three years in middle school, which is all I would ever recommend anyone spend in middle school is three years and then get out. Um, but it was awesome. And, and, you know, you know, reflecting on having family, having parents and kind of adapting, my in-laws became my family. Like my most people will complain about their mother-in-law and um, it's just, you know, one of those stereotypes. But my mother-in-law was this wonderful, amazing woman. Uh, similar to me, she went back to school late in life, became an RN, ended up becoming Rauschenberg's doctor oh wow or nurse whatever she was one of his um you know in-home nurses and uh she just had such a way about her to let things roll off her back and uh just so caring and loving 
um, I fell in love with her immediately. And I realized as time went on why my wife loved me because of how much I feel like I was closer related to my mother-in-law than my wife was. Like we were more kindred spirits and uh, just such an amazing woman. And um, the crazy part is like they were so close with our family. They were such a huge part in helping us raise our kids. And then uh, this is I, I had to share this when you asked me how how do I tell stories and and relate them to music it's um you know it was around Christmas time my in laws were coming to pick up my kids it was December twenty third and they were coming to bring them to the Nutcracker I think at Broadway Palm and my mother in law had a asthmatic attack, heart attack in my home, in the foyer. Uh, I'm giving her mouth to mouth. I'm actually performing CPR on the woman I love, you know, the most in my life. I finally like let down all the walls and fallen in love with this family and, and and here I am like trying to save her and she actually died in my arms my kids are screaming I, you know I can't imagine like at this point in life I think my boys were like five and seven and I just remember I can close my eyes and still hear them screaming no like screaming like like it's not happening and um you know that was it like she had asthma she was just she hid a lot from us. She had been going to specialists for her heart and whatever. Didn't want to get surgery. Didn't want to do this. She was surrounded by the people she loved. Um, I was traumatized, man. And I can handle a lot. I got a pretty high tolerance uh, just, you know, for most things. And um, just because of my lone wolf mentality and being here, being a survivor uh, of life and it hit me hard. Uh, my good friend at the time, uh, Ryan, Ryan and Sean uh, were, were my partners with Yabo, really groovy old restaurant, uh, Mediterranean Italian food with a rock and roll vibe. It was off McGregor, just a great, great spot. Uh, Sean had given me this CD of music and it coincided. I had been listening to it and I'd never heard of the band. Uh, they were from Brooklyn, New York, and I was listening to it like religion. Like it, it was right when this all happened. And I realized how much the music really helped me through this bad time. And, uh, and then I went to Yabo the one day and, uh, there was a little poster on the window and it said Jupiter one this Friday or whatever. I'm like, get the f out of here. Like they're coming here. This is amazing. That's the disc you'd been yes. immersed in. It was this, like your, it was like your talisman kind of almost. It, it was all I could do. Like it got me out of bed some days. Like I'm not joking with you. I was at a low, low point and, uh, went and saw him live bawling. Like, I'm there dancing like a freak, crying. You know, nobody knows. Everybody's sweaty. You know, the place wasn't big. 
You know, it was a hole in the wall. And you've got like an infinite more meaning in what's going on. Oh, huge, huge. And so then I made a point to like introduce myself to them and share my story with them because they wrote the songs. They'll get it, you know, (laughs) whatever. They don't don't really want to talk to me, but they actually were really cool. It's an indie band. It may have been the coolest thing that that, that happened. It ended up being kind of cool. And then fast forward a couple months. I met them all. Life's good. We all go about our lives. I heal. You know, I'm a regular functioning human. Um, fast forward a couple of months, I actually traveled to New York City. I had none of their contact information. I had no way of getting in touch with them. Not that they'd want to talk to me anyway. But I tried Facebook. Like I tried to like message the drummer, you know, on Facebook and say, "Hey, I'm coming to an IB training in New York." I'm going to be in the city. It'd be cool to see you guys. So what are you up to? You know, no response, you know. Go, I lived in New York. I lived in Brooklyn and spent time in the village. Kind of knew my way around. There had been years. Go uh, check into the hotel for the training. Training doesn't start till the morning. So I'm like, I'm going to go just explore my old stomping grounds. I go down to the East Village go into the Grassroots Tavern, which was this little hole-in-the-wall long bar with darts at the back and an old jukebox, just a really cool, you know, awesome old bar, maybe peanuts on the floor. I don't even know. Just groovy. Long bar all the way along the left side. Uh, You know, the place you go because you know it's there. There's no sign. Right. There's no tourists there. It's you know it's there. You don't go. Well, I walk in there to get a beer and just kind of relive some of my golden days of living in the in the city. Yeah, yeah. F***ing A, Jupiter One, the entire band is sitting at the bar with Kay, the lead singer, standing, and the other three guys are sitting. And they turn around, and they're like, we've channeled you. Yeah. Like, they just look at me, and that's like, we're all glowing. Like, we're in this void of time and space. They're like, what are you doing here? I'm like, what are you doing here? And it was this moment of, and I've had a lot of these. Once again, when you asked me to pick three songs, I I could tell you a hundred stories, but this is one of those stories that like movies are made of when you know you're, how much of life is scripted and how much is accidental and were you paying attention? You know, did you look up? You know, yeah. Um, and so that kind of sealed our friendship. I'm still friends with those guys. It, it's beyond what I could say in an hour interview. I, I could have just focused the whole thing on this story because it's so ridiculous and epic. Um, but we've been connected. I made a painting of them to get them and, and welcome them back to Fort Myers for Art Walk. It was the biggest painting I've ever done. It's the closest thing to a mural. I've ever done. It's 11 feet long and it's of them. Wow. We hung it on what's now considered, uh, I guess it's the, uh, the sports bar, barbecue sports bar downtown. That's part of the conglomerate. Um, uh, yeah. doesn't matter. It's, yeah. But, uh, what did it used to be? It used to be, I think variants and okay. then it was something <laughs> else. Yeah. But, uh, pretty magical. And, um, you know, like I said, lifelong friends. So um, why did you pick the song that you chose? Well, this song specifically, uh, you know, we're going to listen to it. And I think it just, it's got, 
it helped me heal in the wake of the trauma and the death. And, you know, it doesn't directly speak to that, but it does in a way for me, especially. And I don't know, every time I listen to it, I was sobbing, you know, and I hope not to cry today. But yeah, you won't be the first. Yeah. Um, what, what was your mother-in-law's name? Patty. Patty. All yeah. right. Well, let's uh, listen to it. This is Unglued from Jupiter One's 2008 self-titled album.
often do you listen to them like in life it comes in waves i mean it's that song especially so emotional for me yeah i didn't even listen to the whole thing before this before this yeah just because yeah it's yeah they're great though and i exposed the kids to them uh, you know, because I was teaching middle school at the time, I played as much as I could. Most of their stuff's radio friendly. Um, you ever heard of Jellyfish? Yep, that's who they reminded me of. Yep, that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Um, how many albums do they have? I think three, and they've since they were opening for Regina Spector, um, and she won a Grammy or two, and then they kind of Regina. Kay, the lead singer, plays violin, and he started playing, sitting in with Regina's band and playing, and then eventually he was just part of Regina's band. <laughs> right. <laughs> so now the former members have gone on and done. They're just all really talented. Yeah. Really, really cool. Great guys. That line, yeah. twice in my life, uh, I was sure that a wall was the end of the world. Yeah. Or, uh, that's great. That's. Yeah. I know. The, that whole song's loaded. A lot of the lyrics are they're they're just really smart, uh, talented guys. I, I wish they were still together. We'll see if we can get get the band back together. Um, you've done such an amazing job of tying your stories together with songs that I haven't had a chance to ask you many of the questions that I normally ask, which is great because I just had, was debriefing a friend of mine who had to actually drive up to South Carolina because a friend of ours passed away and he had a chance to listen to a bunch of these episodes and he said, I really love them. They kept me listening, but I wish you didn't have to ask the same questions every episode. <laughs> so cool. We, we so you, win. You, I get bonus points. No, you've, you've knocked it out of the park, but we are running out of time. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to submit you to a speed round. Okay. Meaning you don't, you have to just, you know. Like Good, a, yeah. Rorschach, you know. Yep. Yep. Um, favorite band? <sighs> Rorschach. <laughs> Gosh. Did, not, really? Yeah. You could say I don't have one. <sighs> don't. It too, depends on the moment. That it would probably be them. Most you, listened to band in your life. How, who, who have you put the most cycles in on? Gosh, that's another hard one. Probably somewhere between Pearl Jam and uh, Days of the New. Hmm. Karaoke. Yes, no. Uh, forced on me. Okay. Uh, one of my jobs. And uh, 
my go-to was uh, the Carpenters Close to You. Okay, I'm just going to not comment on that. Um, album you have to listen to all the way through if you start it, and you can't say Jupiter One. Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Um, go to Pandora Channel. Mm, uh, what? Can I look at my phone? I, I have it in there now. I can't remember. Yeah, go ahead. <clears throat> Hold on, face ID. I've got a great station right now. I got a great combo right now. Oh, I got the Gorillas ah. station right now. And it's cool because it pulls from so many cool genres. Right. Uh, you know, there's such a cool, I, I think, Britain. And yeah, I won't extrapolate. <clears throat> Band you've discovered most recently? LP. LP. Who's yeah. that? She's a Italian-American songstress. Looks like a young Bob Dylan. Has a voice like Gwen Stefani. And she is... Absolutely phenomenal. She does a cover of Beyonce Halo that I shared today on Facebook to prelim this. All those things that you just said are like a like a music mad lib. <laughs> uh, you asked me. <laughs> um, okay, last question. Is there any songs you'll turn off if they come up on the radio because they you hate the band, you don't like the sound oh. of it, or they have a memory that you are afraid of having to remember? Oh, yeah, I got a few of those. Mostly anything country. Uh, immediately skip. Like, give me the beat. Boy. Yeah, I can't. Just gone. Skip. Uh, there's another one. The Life is a highway. Yeah, gone. Skip, I think of The Office immediately, Michael Scott. Um, so not that I'm against country. I grew up with real country on a farm, and so I hear pop country, and I it my insides, it, yes, skip. Um, any final thoughts? Thank you. This was awesome. Uh, you know, wish I would have had a little more time to prepare, but it's so good to be able to hang out with you and uh, share my story. Thank you. We make this show at WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chin Kui is co-creator and producer. Tara Callaghan is the online content producer. Chris Duffus is executive producer. Our tasty theme music was made by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. This week's parting tune comes from Miriam in Fort Myers. The first memory that popped in my head was being a kid driving in... An old little Datsun, if you can remember those cars. Absolutely. Driving with my dad, so my parents owned a restaurant, and they closed it on Sunday afternoons. And he would take us for drives. Sometimes it would just be my dad and me. Sometimes it would be the whole family, my two brothers and my mom and the dog. And um, we would drive. This was in Miami. So he would take us down to Kendall, which at the time was in the sticks. And he had an 8-track player in the, in the Datsun. And he would play Nat King Cole in Spanish. So you hear songs like uh, Perhaps, Perhaps, Perhaps in Spanish. Or... Um, I'm trying to remember some other ones. How do you say perhaps in Spanish? Quizás. 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 Um, and there isn't one particular song that jumps out. I just remember hearing a lot of his songs in Spanish as a kid. 
driving around on a Sunday afternoon through the sticks of Kendall back in the early 80s when I was, I don't know, 10, 12 years old, something like that. What color was the Datsun? Black exterior, burgundy interior, and it was like cheap velvet. And it was during, it was late 70s, early 80s, so, you know, we were trying to economize gas prices and whatnot. My dad had the brilliant idea of trading in a station wagon for a family of five for a Datsun that you were lucky if it fit two people in it and, you know, shove the three kids in the back with the German Shepherd mix in the back, too. And it was stick shift, and um, we would just drive wherever he wanted to go on a Sunday afternoon. And that was in the background. Keep listening. Capitol Hill to work out a compromise. Next time on Three Song Stories. Um, do you have any TV theme songs that you could, uh, you know, give us a little bit? Of? So like, like sing it? Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can believe it or not, I'm walking on it. I never thought it could be so real. Flying away on a wing and a prayer. Who could it be? Believe it or not, it's just me.